Welcome to The Companion Podcast. I'm your host, Lawrence Cow, and this is my co-host, Rebecca Davis. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, Lawrence. I'm super excited about this one. Well, thank goodness for this event, because without it, we never would have met. That is very true. So I saw uh, Amanda tweet about this event, Amanda Tapping, uh, and I had never heard of The Companion before. I just saw that it was called Uplifting Women in Film and Television, and I knew I had to be there. So this is the reason that I joined The Companion as a member, and this is the reason that I am here now as a producer. So I do have a question for you about it, though, and I've never asked you this before. When did you know it was actually going to be called Uplifting Women? Because the title of the event is the reason why I absolutely had to be there. Uplifting Women in Film and Television. It was more to me than just a standard interview with Amanda Tapping. I think I knew from the very beginning, um, you know, I'm a kind of a development producer kind of person. I think about things like series um, and formats. And after Brad's AMA, which is where the suggestion from Brad came from and the introduction, to be honest, um, I thought we could do more than just ask me anything. And I knew, of course, we wanted to talk about Stargate and Sam Carter, Sanctuary and Helen Magnus. But Amanda Tapping is really unique in her incredible, successful transition from in front of the camera to behind the camera. And so at that point, I knew we should talk about at least film and television in the title. That was kind of the that part. And then there was the uplifting women part. Um, we've always wanted to create a safe space on the companion for people that may not experience that say on the internet. And at one point though, I did have the idea of taking out the woman in the title part. In fact, we had a meeting on this. And, you know, I said, wouldn't it be great if it was around leadership in film and television? And we don't need that word women in the title. Um, and after speaking to a few members, um, a couple of other you know, advisors, I made the decision, you know what? I think we do need to emphasize women in the title again, because unfortunately we aren't there yet. You know, we still need to signal the importance of diversity. And in this case, gender diversity, we do need to show that there are champions out there. You know, ultimately, I hope this episode, you know, takes us one step closer to not needing to mention it. But I think I think we do right now, unfortunately. And I am really glad you did it that way because it was able to expand beyond the event into a series that also includes Jewel State and Deborah Pratt. Uh, and those are actually releasing within the next few weeks as well. But uh, up first, however, it is Queen of Our Hearts, Grand Empress of Sci-Fi, Amanda Tapping. Hi, everybody. I think everybody can see me now. This is very exciting. Um, thank you all for joining us today. I'm so excited to be here. My name is Sam Maggs. I am a writer for video games, comics, and books, and I'm extremely stoked to be here today for this very special discussion with The Companion. Now, The Companion is an app and website that works with showrunners and stars to get you closer than ever to the stories behind your favorite sci-fi shows. I'm thrilled to be working with them as a longtime sci-fi fan myself. Uh, and this event today is even more special for me 
uh, because I'm going to be speaking with a woman that I have looked up to as a role model since Stargate SB1 first came on the air when I was nine years old. Um, Sam Carter was the first time that I personally had ever seen a woman on TV who was allowed to be more than one thing. Um, not only was she a soldier, but she was also an astrophysicist and super smart. And she also was romantic and had romantic relationships. And she was also funny and she was also sarcastic. And it blew my mind to see that, you know, as a woman, you could be more than one thing. You didn't have to pigeonhole yourself like that. And frankly, I'm in awe that the woman who brought Sam Carter to life has been an even more successful multi-hyphenate in her career um, of course, she is best known for her role of Samantha Carter in Stargate SP-1, but our guest today is an actress, a director, and now an executive producer with credits that range from Sanctuary and Supernatural to The Flash, Batwoman, Sabrina, and most recently Motherland, Fort Salem. So please, via the internet, help me welcome Amanda Tapping. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> that was a very nice introduction, Sam. Thank you. Hi, my heart. I meant it. <laughs> Thank you for being here with us today. Wow, of course. This is so crazy because we can't see anybody, but oh, I can look at the comments and see everyone saying hi. So, hi, everybody. <laughs> yeah, we have a great crowd here today. This is awesome. Just before we started talking, we were talking about how great Stargate fans are. Yeah, I, absolutely. Just the nicest of fandoms. I think we just, uh, I don't know what it was about the show or the people that connected with it, but yeah, I've always found Stargate fans to be super nice. And yeah. Really, um, welcoming people to each other. Like they look, they look out for each other, which is really nice. Absolutely. I started going to Stargate conventions when I was 18. I'm 32 now, and I still see the same people at the cons every two years when I go. It's like a family from all over the world. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's very special. Um, but before we get into talking about Stargate, and we will, don't worry, I wanted to start by talking about where you are right now in your career. So I'm really curious to know if you could tell us what like a rundown of your current job as a TV director looks like. Well, okay, so right now I'm uh, what's called a producing director, a producer director on a series called Motherland Fort Salem. So I direct a bunch of the episodes, but I also hire all the directors. Um, and I prep with the directors and I'm on set with the actors. My job is like multifold job. I don't know that there's an actual description for it, <clears throat> but I make sure that everything's running smoothly on the show. Uh, and make sure that the actors are all taken care of and happy, that the crew is all taken care of and happy. I'm like mama bear, basically. I'm a mom. I walk around and just be everyone's mom and psychiatrist. Uh, <laughs> I, I get to direct, uh, you know, I directed the first two episodes of this season and the finale of this season. Um, and it was a huge job. I had no idea what to expect. Um, and I mentored with a couple of other producing directors who I'd worked with on The 100 and Sabrina and I was like, hey guys, what did you do? So it was really, it's been, it's been really eye-opening because as a gun-for-hire director, which I really love doing, just jumping from show to show because it's exciting and it's challenging and um, you don't have a lot of say in, you know, you hand in your director's cut and then you walk away. 
So with this, I get to be a little bit more behind the scenes. I've been going to music spotting and biz effect reviews and um, much like what I did on Sanctuary. So it's nice to sort of be back in the world of post-production again. I think Sanctuary doesn't get enough credit for being really like the first all green screen web series that really made it to TV. Um, it deserves a real spot in the canon, I think. That's like an iconic thing. And you made that happen. with a great team, right? We had an amazing team and we really didn't know 100% what we were doing, which made it really fun. Um, but it, and then interestingly, a couple of the VizFX guys who are on Sanctuary are, are now running a company that is that does all the VizFX for Motherland. So it's just, and they're in Montreal, this company called Folks, and they're amazing. But it's just, it's such a tiny world, you know? Uh, but yeah, Sanctuary was really groundbreaking, and we were the first people to use the red camera, for better or worse, <laughs> on a TV series. And yeah, we broke a lot of ground. It was, And I think because we didn't know what we were doing, it wasn't as daunting. Yes, it could have been or should have been. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it makes a ton of sense. So you mentioned a bunch of different aspects of being a producer director, like you have your hands in. What Can you name a few more of the different like parts of the filmmaking process that you oh, touch? So as a director and as a producing director, um, let's talk about being a gun for hire director. So you walk into the first day of prep, you've gotten the script, uh, hopefully you've read the other scripts leading up to your script, which is often hard if you're going in like sixth season and you're episode 18. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of homework to do. Uh, I always ask the executive producers what are their favorite episodes and I'll watch them. You watch as much material as you can so you know the style of the show. Mm-hmm. And then you go in on the first day, you do a concept meeting and you go through, um, you meet all the department heads, usually your location scouting. And then all of prep is meetings, 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 meetings. Stunts and special effects and props and costumes and hair and makeup and all the aspects. And you're going and visiting your sets as they're being built. You're coming up with shot lists. You're uh, scheduling the entire episode with your first AD because you need to know that you can make your days when you're shooting it. And uh, episodic television goes really, really fast. You got to be fast. Uh, And hopefully you're meeting the cast. Um, It's been a bit harder with COVID for some of our directors to really get to meet the cast. We've done a lot of Zoom calls. Um, but it's all about prep. It's all about being as prepped as you can possibly be. So when you walk onto the set, you know how you're going to shoot the scenes. You know what you want. You know what special equipment you need. And you and then you shoot. Um, and it's kind of funny because I think prep is the most important part of being an episodic director. Um, but it, no matter how many plans you make, something will screw up on the day. Like, for example, when I was directing Continuum, we were shooting in this quarry. There was a massive windstorm the night before uh, we were shooting and the set slid down the quarry hill. The catering truck could like lift it up their tent. They couldn't, the, the catering tent blew away. It was like this huge, I had techno cranes all scheduled. So I was having people walk along these ridges of these like big, huge hills in this quarry. Couldn't do it. It was too windy. And this was like at 7.30 in the morning. And I was like, oh, okay. Best laid plans. We couldn't use the crane until the very last shot of the day because it was just too windy. And, you know, my Lord of the Rings desires for shooting this episode became sort of on the ground, Planet of the Apes, very different. They had to think on the fly, you know, and it was like we planned, we ordered all the equipment, everything met. So you also interesting. You just have to have a good, I think, a good sense of humor helps. (laughs) 
I think. <laughs> um, when you have a plan, you know what you need and what you don't need. You know, you know what you want to tell the story, the special shots you really desire, but you also know the story so well because you've read the script hopefully tons of times before you get to set that you know what you, you know, what you need in the edit suite in order to tell the story properly. So. So you mentioned that TV does move really fast. And so that's why like a lot of these best laid plans can kind of go awry, uh, no matter how, how much you plan. Um, that's obviously one of the unique challenges of working as a TV director. But what are some of the other sort of challenges or like real highlights and benefits to working as a t like a TV director producer as opposed to working in like films. Well, film is really a director's medium because the director really decides so much of what happens in film and has a bit more control over the narrative, even the story. Um, TV, you are th you're plugged into a matrix of a pre-existing show usually, mm -hmm. um, and you you spend a lot of time just playing catch up. I love just the dynamics of going on to different shows and how they function and meeting different people and, you know, figuring out how to navigate every different crew. You know, shooting in Budapest was very different because it was a crew. A lot of them didn't speak English. So, I mean, it was an amazing experience and they were phenomenal, but I was scared out of my tree because I didn't know what to expect. You know, I was used to North American crews. These guys were amazing, but, um, you have less control as an episodic director and you have very little control over the end product. So once you get used to that idea, then you just, then it's about just enjoying the ride really. And you know, you get, you get some, you know, if you've got a healthy budget on the show, you get to play with some really nice equipment, meet some wonderful people and, and hopefully you get asked back. That's <laughs> the big trip. Yeah. It's fascinating to hear you talk about this because I'm an IP writer. So I spend my life jumping from franchise to franchise, but on the writing end in like a way that is the very smallest scale possible of what you're talking about, like watching a bunch of episodes of My Little Pony so you can write a My Little Pony script that sounds like my funny or whatever, like Pepper oh, Animal and, exactly and whatnot. But you have like massive budgets and like human lives to handle and I don't. Which <laughs> is like amazing. But it's it's really interesting how the industry works like that because it's true. I think a lot of people think that as like a director, you would have so much creative control and so much say and like your word is the law, but a medium like television is so collaborative and like so showrunner and writer focused. It's like a really different thing. Yeah, it is. And uh, that's one of the things that I tell people that uh, I mentor is the biggest and most rewarding part of working in television is the collaboration. Like it's, it's just the best part of it. And when I started out, I was so scared that people would think I didn't know what I was doing, that I was so solidly connected to my plan. And I didn't realize that when people made a suggestion, it wasn't because they didn't think that I knew what I was doing is because they were just collaborating. And so I've become, you know, much more relaxed about that whole part of the process and really leaned into it and enjoy it because it is key. Every, yeah. Especially with department heads who've been doing it for a long time. You know, I direct on Supernatural. Those guys have it dialed in. It is such a well-oiled machine. So you just lean into the collaboration of it all. And I come with my own ideas, but, you know, if somebody suggests something, hey, great, if it's better than my idea, let's do it. You know? <laughs> I love that. More yeah. brains, 
the more brains the better on stuff because then i don't have to come up with the solution always somebody else to do it we will get blamed for it but of course of course yeah um how has it been different than you know as a hired gun director you were saying you kind of come into your thing hand it off and then you kind of have to be like well whatever it is it is now as a producer director there's a lot more of that responsibility on your shoulders which I assume is both like a good thing in a way, but also like a, a kind of scary or like yeah, you know, terrifying thing in a way. It is scary. And, and you know, if I see a director sort of struggling in the course of a day, it's sort of my job to help move them along and get the day made. Often I'll grab a camera and say, can I pick up these shots for you? Or can I do this for you so that you can actually, you know, have success at the end of the day? Um, or if I see them doing too many masters or too many takes of something you know you got to move on you got to move on but it's hard because you want to give people the wings to fly you want to support them through prep so that they're ready to just go off and do it but yeah definitely if there's something that's happening on set or if there's an issue with an actor or the script and yeah i helicopter in and try to help it out it's scary for sure it's interesting hearing you say that after you're talking about how like when you were in their shoes something like that might have felt like really intimidating or like yeah um criticism even if it wasn't how do you approach that sort of collaborative medium in a way that ensures that people feel like you're here to help as opposed to being like you know yeah and it's a great question sam because it is a fine line and um I always preface it by saying I totally respect what you're doing and you're doing a great job. But if I can make a suggestion that'll help you get to the end of the day, or if I can help you in any way with this. Um, but I always preface it because it ultimately it's their episode. Uh, if I feel like the show's really in trouble, then I have to step in a little harder. But for the most part, it really is just about respecting what they brought to the table. And they're there for a reason. I hired them for a reason. So, yeah. Other a great thing to say. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, people are, you know, we're all so sensitive on the inside. Like, it's it's hard. <laughs> and you put so much of yourself into it, and you put yourself out there. You know, you walk onto set, and you call action, and everything happens because you've said one word. Yeah. You know, you've set it up, but you say that word, and suddenly you're responsible for what happens after that. <laughs> it's pretty scary. Yeah. So I just have to make sure that the directors that come in feel super supported. Yeah. What's your relationship like with the showrunners and the network? Because like, I imagine those are two really interesting relationships and everybody has different needs and is asking for different things that are not always the same things. In fact, are often different things. Um, how do you manage that kind of push and pull? Um, on Motherland, the showrunner, Elliot Lawrence, is just incredible. Um, and we have an amazing relationship and a really kind of goofy relationship uh, which is super helpful when you've got a showrunner <laughs> with a really good sense of humor but we also had a writer on set for the entire season brian studler who stayed for the entire season up in canada mm -hmm. uh, so that i was really lucky in that regard that i had two really supportive people who could answer a lot of the questions yeah. might have come my way but they were there to answer them and then the network is just a different thing because the network comes at it from a different place also. And mostly Elliot would deal with the network note, but occasionally I would get a network note and sometimes I would be stymied by them. And other times I would be like, this is brilliant. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, because everyone, a different set of eyes on it just 
you know, gives you a different perspective that you may not have thought of. And for me, as a director for the first time this season, especially, um, I handed my director's cut on other shows and I had no idea what the network says about it. Very rarely, unless the editor calls and says, oh, they love this or, you know, they're going to take up this scene and mm-hmm. sing around a bit, whatever. But on Motherland, I've had the opportunity to see all the network notes and see how they think and see what's important to them in terms of the narrative. So it's been really, really educational. That's really interesting for future projects too, I'm sure, to take that knowledge with you. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, you shared a horror story from directing with the windstorm, but uh, can you share like an anecdote or two about a couple of your favorite directing experiences? Oh, wow. Um, Budapest was really special because I loved the show that I was working on there. It was called X Company and it was a period piece. Yeah. Do you know the show? Yeah. Yeah. It's so great. Um, and it was just also because I was away and I think when you shoot on location, there was a lot of like, there was a Canadian production element to it and a Hungarian production element to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I stayed in this apartment building with a lot of the different people from production and in this neighborhood. And it was just like everything about it was kind of magical. Um, the locations we shot at, you know, shooting in the opera house, shooting at this castle, like it was just, it was so beautiful. Yeah. And I had big equipment and, and, you know, a really big crew and beautiful stories. And so, I mean, every day I just woke up feeling so lucky to be there. We shot in this forest and there were wild boar running through the forest, like past our equipment. It was just like, oh, oh, cool. Cool. <laughs> Things that don't happen back home. Like, <laughs> exactly. There's a liability issue or something, but uh, yeah. So that, I mean, that was just really special because it's just such a beautiful city and, you know, you could point the camera anywhere. <laughs> it was amazing. That's such an amazing director moment where you're like, it was so cool to see these wild hogs. Also, someone please call the insurance company because <laughs> we're screwed now. Like, let's get the actors closer to the tent here. <laughs> Someone's going to get gored for sure. Well, um, that's really cool. I love that experience. I love that show. The actors on it were incredible. And we just, yeah, like I said, every everywhere you pointed the camera, there was something beautiful. So that was amazing. And I think just to be away and filming. Um, Travelers was a really special experience for me because it was Brad Wright and uh, it was again an incredible cast and uh, and a really like I knew a lot of the crew. They weren't all Stargate people, but people that I had worked with on other shows. And I just really loved the story. I think for me, the best directing experiences are the story and with an E. Moira Wally Beckett, who's the showrunner on and with an E, who wrote for Breaking Bad and won like a Emmy and an Emmy, and she's just like one of the people that I go, you know, I just look up to her so much. She's a huge mentor for me. And just to be able to work with her and see how her mind works was amazing. So I, you know, I could, I was like, I can see why Breaking Bad was so damn good because your attention to detail is off the charts. Yeah. And, and it's cool that your job takes you all these different places to all these different people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. For sure. So that's where you are now. And I want to also take a little bit of time to discuss you know, how you got here. And of course, I think what we all know you best for from back in the day is Stargate, um, which was wonderful and went on for many, many years. You were on many iterations of the show. Um, uh, Do you have a sort of, when you look back at that time, like what is your overwhelming 
what is the feeling that comes up about it? Uh, a really great joy, honestly. Uh, I was so naive and so unprepared for shooting a television series. Uh, I was, I thought I was mentally ready, but I don't think I was fully prepared for the responsibility of it. Mm. And then as the show progressed, it was just, I mean, it was just such a family. It was such a family. I loved getting up for work in the morning. I, I had no issue getting up at five o'clock in the morning ever. You know, it was amazing, except when it was pouring rain sometimes. That wasn't so much fun. But like all the time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's such a huge part of my life. It's hard to step back from it with a, you know, with a critical eye. Even still, even like 20 years later, it's hard to sort of go, oh, like I can look at certain moments and go, wow, I wish I'd handled that differently. Or wow, I wish I, you know. I would tell myself to relax more. I would tell myself to really enjoy the experience more because I was so, I needed to know all my lines. I was really uptight about my homework. And, um, and you know, I think that's important for sure. And especially as an actor to come to set to be prepared because the thing, I, I don't think that people realize that there's a whole machine that you go in, you block a scene and then you leave. And then all the technicians take over and the cameras are set up and the lighting set up and and then you run in, you have a few minutes to act. And then they're like, okay, we're turning around. And you're kicked off the set and the lights move and the cameras move. And then you jump back on. So for those periods of time where you're actually on the set and the camera's pointing at you, you better be ready because everyone's counting on it. And that's how you make days. So, you know, I was always really, really hyper vigilant about my homework. And that's interesting. Like you were on that show for 10 years. And when I think about myself 10 years ago, I don't, I hardly recognize myself. And know the fact that you were on this same, doing the same job for 10 years, like you must've changed a lot over the course of that time. I did. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I had a baby and, um, I think I matured as a person. I came into my own as a woman. I think when I started Stargate, I was still, you know, even though I was a certain age, I still felt really young and mm-hmm. kind of naive about a lot of things. And um, and maybe that was a good thing. I didn't overanalyze things too much, but uh, but I grew up. I grew up as a woman. Sam Carter grew up as a woman. Like we kind of, and I've said it before, we kind of grew up together, and we can yeah. own as 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 women. The real product of its time too, where like in '97 there wasn't a lot of discussion about feminism on TV or you know women tropes on TV, and by the time you get to 2007, it's like it was it was starting to become a really prevalent thing totally. um, that everybody talked about. And so it's like you know we also started to think about that more as people um, yeah. in a new way. Yeah, and I didn't you know when I started, I didn't think that. I didn't realize that Sam Carter was such a role model until I started to get letters and until I went to my first convention and met women primarily, but some men too, but women and girls who were like, you're a revelation. Your character changed my life. And it's, oh, oh, you know, and then I went back to the writers and I was like, this is serious guys. Yeah. People are talking about this. We got to be really true to this woman uh, and really honor what she's bringing you know, what Sam Carter brings to the table. And it was always really important to me that she be one of the guys, but be a woman at the same time. Um, 
And I think sometimes we did it really successfully and in the early days, sometimes not so successfully, but I think ultimately, like as she grew and as the show grew, yeah, I'm really proud of who she became. I completely agree. And I, I think she was massively ahead of her time as a character. I mean, to your point, in some of the early episodes, she's still obviously a product of her time. Um, but she was so ahead of her time. And I, I wonder if Stargate was coming out today, um, how do you think Sam would be the same or different as a character? Oh, I think, uh, and I don't know, maybe she would be, she wouldn't have to, you know, in the early days, she was sort of announcing herself, <laughs> saying, you, you know, stop treating me like a girl. I'm just like you. Um, I think maybe the flirtation with O'Neill would probably be squashed a bit more. Um, and I really enjoyed that aspect of the show because it was just kind of fun and natural. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think probably now she would be a bit tougher, maybe, and less willing to show her vulnerabilities. And I think, because I, I think there's a fear of putting women on television and making them um, too vulnerable. You know, once mm -hmm. women are strong and powerful, can do anything. But I think Sam's vulnerability was actually one of her strengths. Is that she might not really agree? Yeah. So I fear that she might not be as and likable, maybe. I don't know. That's a really, it's an intense question. But again, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, I hope I'm not saying the wrong thing. But no, I think you're making a great point because I think that there's a really important distinction to be made between a strong female character and a complex female character. And what we should all be aiming for is complex female characters because yeah, women are people and people are multifaceted um, and are vulnerable and also can kick ass. And, no, you know, she had all of that then, which yeah. is really nice. Um, and I don't know, maybe she wouldn't be written exactly the same, but I, I think that there would be some changes that, yeah, that might not be as fun. That's really interesting. And it's really interesting to talk about because, um, you know, I, my favorite era of sci-fi is like that late nineties sci-fi before it started taking itself really seriously. And I, I like sci-fi that takes itself seriously too, but there was a real like era around then of very fun sci-fi that I think yeah. Stargate was at the lead of. And I really miss that. I miss that atmosphere. Um, and it's funny because people didn't take, you know, Stargate as seriously as say, you know, Battlestar Galactica, because, you know, it was so serious and we were a little bit on the goofier edge, but I think that that's what made the show so accessible. I completely agree. And such a great escape. And we still told stories, but we did it with a bent. And I think in large part because of Rick, uh, you know, he's a goof and he was just like, this is how I'm going to play this guy. And so we worked around that, you know, the writers wrote around that. But I think like in as much as our themes were lofty and the stories were important, there was an element of fun to them. And yeah, I think we lost that a little bit. Now that I'm here, sci-fi is now coming back to sort of a snarkier edge to it. Yes. Yeah. Well, and as a writer, you know, I think it's a lot harder to tell meaningful stories with humor than it is to tell, like, serious stories that are dour because, you know, the way people really react to situations is, like, deflecting with humor in large part. And But it's hard to still tell, like, meaningful stories. And Stargate really did that. And there's a reason that it has stuck with people as much as it has. And I think that's a big part of it. So 
and I think like for young people now watching it, like there's little kids watching it again. And you like, Sam, darn it. You said you started watching it when you were nine. I'm sorry. I know what I'm 32 now. Oh my God. <laughs> um, but I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm now meeting little kids who are watching the show. Um, and in fact, one of our producers, uh, his three daughters who, uh, you know, are like under the age of eight have started watching it and love Sam Carter. And I'm like, oh my God, there's a whole new generation. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so you were you were Sam for so long and you were embodying this character, but you did choose to make the switch to directing. And I'm curious uh, why you made that decision and why at that time it felt like the right thing to do. It was really, uh, I always wanted to direct and I knew that that was something um, that I was going to pursue. I also was painfully aware that as a woman of a certain age, um, I was not going to get the opportunities uh, as I got older. It's a kind of a joke, you know, when you start out as an actress, you're playing like the young, pretty young thing or the prostitute. And then, you you know, eventually you'll graduate to like the mom. There's more mm -hmm. stuff in between the prostitute and the mom. But then it's the mom and then, you know, you eventually end up as a judge. And then that's pretty much it. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Yeah. But uh, I, I finished Sanctuary and I thought to myself, and I had a real moment, like I had a real crisis of confidence and mm. all that might come to Jesus moment, but it was this, I've been on TV for 15 years. Who am I if I'm not that girl that was on that TV show, right? So I was like, I need to really pursue directing. Like, I really need to pursue it. And so I put myself out there and, and, and at the same time I got a recurring on Supernatural. So I was able to sort of bridge the gap. It wasn't such a clean cutoff. I was able to act on Supernatural and then still take directing gigs. And I think my first real job outside of starting in Sanctuary was Primeval New World. And I did three, yeah. three episodes of that. And it was super fun. And Martin Wood was involved with it. So that was great. And Jillian Horvath and, um, it was, you know, it was still kind of sci-fi. And, and then once that ended, that for me was the real moment. Like, because then my next gig I got with somebody I'd never worked with before. I didn't know. And then I ended up working with Simon Barry, who I didn't know. And these men, like Gary Harvey and, and Simon Barry, took a chance on me. And they said, heard good things. We like you. Come and do an episode. And then it was next season. You can do two episodes. And and then then it built from there but it was a real i was i was scared i was really scared because there weren't a lot of women directors there was a lot of backlash still about female directors uh there was a lot of backlash about me being an actress turned director like well you must be real with the actors but you probably don't know uh, any of the technical stuff so i made it my mission to learn all the lenses all the you know, all the technical equipment and all the angles for everything so that I could speak with authority to my camera crew and to the crew about what I wanted. Um, I took a request of everything you just said. I have like 18 questions I want to ask you. And there's, it's so meaty and good. Like, this is the real good stuff. And it's, the first thing I wanted to say was I'm glad you brought up 
uh, that fear of if I aging for women or aging out, because I used to do this a lot more, the hosting thing. And recently, a week ago, they announced that like the newest host of whatever video game TV is going to be a computer generated woman. And I was like, oh, you can't compete with that. I can't believe you. No, come on. I'm real. I'm going to like, just brutal, right? The like physical perspective, like perfection that we expect for women, whereas we see men who age and we're like, ooh, distinguished silver fox. And then women, it's like judge. Like, yeah, you know, like that's it. And it's, uh, interesting that you felt that and you were like well how can i transition to a space in this industry that will allow me to age it's like fascinating i mean and it's it's gotten better and brutal yeah europe is way better than north america oh way better for women i think north america is getting better but um you know i think like i look at actresses like say olivia coleman who yes I fell in love with her on a show called Night Manager, and she was pregnant and amazing. <laughs> I was just like a revelation to watch her. And I don't know that that would have happened if it was an American show necessarily. Yeah. I, I don't know for a fact that that's true because it is getting better, but I think there's just a different standard. We're, you know, we're starting to catch up with the way Europe views women. Yeah, I love that. I, that's really interesting. And it's... um. <clears throat> You do really wrap your identity up in your career as like someone who is really career focused as a woman. And so finding that new trajectory, I understand how scary that can be. Like that's, you're kind of questioning who you are at that point. That's totally. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you mentioned feeling like you had to know everything the second you came on set in order to be taken seriously because I do feel that women a lot of the time have to work twice as hard for like half of the respect sometimes that is automatic order I mean yeah so here's the interesting thing so yes when I started that that was absolutely true and I think it's still true to a degree that there's a lot of proving that we have to do um and certainly when I started there was people who just refused to believe that I knew what I was doing. I worked with a DP who changed every single shot, every single shot, like two days. I went to my AD and I said, I can't, this is, we gotta, it's not working. Uh, and we had a conversation and it, you know, we were able to work it out, but I thought, why did he do that? Like, I have a plan. I know how I'm editing. Why would he, this is really weird. <clears throat> I also knew that it was because I was a woman and he kept referring to me as that actress. <laughs> Uh, and that was early days for me. Um, there was a, a showrunner, the same, was really just awful to me. And I remember calling um, Ann Wheeler, who is uh, an incredible filmmaker, Canadian filmmaker and director of Episodic as well. And then I called Ann and, oh, and I've got her book right here by my bedside. So I recommend it. It's called, I'm doing an ad for Ann Wheeler. This is great. Here we go. Taken by the Muse. And it's uh, on the path to becoming a filmmaker. And this, it's a, this is an amazing, amazing book. But she, I called her and I said, what do I do? And she took me for dinner and just talked me off the ledge. And I thought, I will always do this for other women. I will always be here for other women. Um, Helen Shaver was another one. She was an actress from Poltergeist and then ended up becoming a director, a super successful director. She's amazing. She was like, whatever you need, just call me. And I thought, okay, this is how we do it. This is how we change the paradigm. We shift the paradigm. 
we help each other. Well, yeah, because I think as women, we're socialized to learn that we have to compete with each other instead of cooperate because we're told that there's only one seat at the table for a woman. But yeah. that's, that's false. Um, there's an unlimited number of seats at the table and we don't have to fight with each other for them. But it's so easy to feel that way because society, like through no fault of our own, society has told us that our whole lives. So there's yeah. that impetus you have to fight against all the time of being like, oh, no, other women are my competition, but they're not. Like, they're not. They're, they, we all lift each other up. That's 100% true. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I talked about that a bit in uh, a, a little piece I did um, for Shara Viva called Bite the Bullet. And it was mm. just basically about, you know, we can't, we can't rest on our laurels and we can't just be angry about shit. <laughs> like we have to, we have to work together. Yeah. And, uh, but I think what happens too is the pendulum, you know, there was a period of time when I was told, oh, you, you know, by male director friends, you got the job because you're a woman. Well, now I got the job because, you know, now I've done, I think, 65 episodes of television. But at the time, it was only about 45. And uh, and I thought that that was enough. I had experience. And I was, you know, pretty good at it. But I got told it's because you're a woman. And that pendulum swung so far that men got really upset about it. And that was like all these women coming into the industry. Now there's a mandate for BIPOC, which is absolutely essential yeah, but there's this pendulum swing and people are like, oh, well, you know, it's good you're a woman, but if you were a woman of color, and I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. Like, let's just be inclusive. I said, oh, that way. About it. Let's open the doors up and let people in. Like I had to bang through a lot of doors. I had to smash some glass and I got here. I want, I don't want people to have to do that. I don't want people yeah. to, have to struggle. So the more perspectives we have as storytellers, the more interesting stories we get. Like everybody wins. Yeah. And, and then have so much content. It's not like there's not a yeah, there's so much content. Yeah. So there's not saying that when you're used to privilege, equality feels like oppression. Yeah. Because like suddenly you're you're see, yeah, I feel like I exactly I look. Yeah. When you're yeah. used to privilege, equality feels like oppression. And this, you know, and it's happening with, with diverse directors who are coming in now. They're being told, well, you just, it's just diversity. It's like, no, yeah. talented people. And they got hired because they're talented people. So how yeah. about we just forget about all this bullshit and yeah, win and let the stories be told with all these different voices as they should have been done for, you know, hundreds of years. Well, and I want to talk a bit more about mentorship and mentoring other women, but I do also want to take a second to recognize that this has been the experience in my career as well, that I never could have gotten to where I was if there weren't men in my industries who had reached out a hand and helped to lift me up and to mentor me as well. And that being a good ally is so like the, it's so important. It's a hundred percent true. Hundred and and for me it was the men that reached out to me early in my career that gave me the leg up and then they went on to speak about me afterwards. You should hire her; she's great. You should, you know, or pick up the phone when people call to, you know, give me a good reference. Um, yeah, I would never have gotten the legs up if I didn't without the men that supported me in the early stages of my career. Because like women can support each other, and we have yeah. to, but men also listen to other men a lot <laughs> a lot more and so it's like if you want to really be a good ally it's like speak up for people for women who you work with for other marginalized people for BIPOC like you have to body block 
a little bit. Like that's what your privilege gives you the ability to do. Um, but I, I, I talked to a director um, from the DGA and she talked about the difference between diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. He's like, diversity is actually like not great because it basically says, you guys have all had your shot, move away, we're going to bring in diverse people. He said, inclusion is what we want. Yeah, not just the doors open. We want the playing field to be level for everybody. Yeah, to be hired because they're the best person for the job because they're great. Um, but you know, I, like I wouldn't want to be hired just because I'm a woman. Yeah, hired because I'm good at it. Yeah, but I don't want people to think I'm being hired because I'm a woman. I want people to go. She's being hired because she does really good action sequences or because whatever you know. Uh, that, no. That's what anyone wants, but in order to do it. We have to open the doors and give people the opportunity to prove that they're capable. And that's, yeah, and and that's that's why I think inclusion is a better word. I completely agree because we see this in hiring practices a lot too, where they'll hire a bunch of diverse candidates or people from marginalized backgrounds, but then not change the culture at all, and then they'll all leave and be like, "Where'd all our women go?" <laughs> but it used to be like I have actually heard this like. Oh, we hired a woman once and it didn't work out. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Oh. Well, that's a shame. Okay. Uh, that has changed now. That has changed. But yeah, that happened a lot in the early days. And I wasn't even one of the real trailblazers. Like there were women before me who I have immense respect for, really, really pushed down the barriers. So, but yeah, we hired a woman once. I would love to talk about that though. Who are some like, you've talked about Anne, but do you have other women in your career who have been like really important mentors to you? Yeah, I mean, Anne was probably one of the biggest and Helen Shaver, um, certainly when I was starting out, they were women that I talked to um, and who were always willing to, you know, jump on the phone with me. Um, <clears throat> Moira Wally Beckett is another one who I already mentioned. Um, and, and then writers, women writers who I worked with who were also struggling to find their place, mm-hmm. uh, you know, on the footprint of a show. But um, for me, I would say my biggest would be Ann Wheeler. Like she was the one, you know, and I looked up to a lot of women as I was starting up in the industry, but Ann was really one of the big ones for me. And if yeah, you, okay. I don't know why, like <laughs> what that woman went through holy crap and not just because she was a woman just because she chose like a really interesting path and um the story she tells are incredible that's amazing i'm definitely gonna pick up that book it sounds so good why the muse by ann wheeler (laughs) i know what do you think is sort of the current state of tv direction for women when you look around yourself now what do you see um I see a lot more women, for sure. And, um, you know, I think it's usually about 50-50 now on a lot of the shows that I've worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, some not so much. Some it's still getting momentum. But what I see is crews who aren't questioning it anymore. Mm-hmm. This is what she wants. Let's give it to her. Mm-hmm. It's You know, you said something earlier, Sam, that, you know, women have to work twice as hard to be considered half as good. The other side of that parable is that <clears throat> women aren't allowed to get upset. Yep. Um, I've worked on shows, not so much anymore, but back in the day where, you know, a male director would throw a walkie-talkie across yep. the set. 
and that people would be like, Ooh, okay, well, we better give him what he wants. If I were to do that, I would never be asked back. I would be considered out of control, hysterical, able to handle my emotions. Uh, yeah, unstable. Yeah. Oh, don't touch her. She throws things. No, no, no. I, I don't think anyone would ever say, well, guys, okay, let's, you know, let's pay attention. The director's talking. Um, but they would do that with a guy. So, I st and that still holds true. I still feel like there's a different standard for what we can get away with. Not that I ever want to throw a walkie-talkie across the set. I don't. Uh, really a better way to handle things. But, um, but I know that I'm being held to a different standard. And I know that emotionally, I have to check myself. Like, I have to rein it in. And there's times when I've been, like, really upset about something on set. And I'll just say to the AD, let's let them set up. And I'll go outside and walk around the sound stages and come back in. And just take a deep breath and go, before I say something that I might regret. And the thing is, it takes it takes a really long time to build up a good reputation. Mm -hmm. It takes one bad thing to tear the entire thing down. Mm -hmm. So you have to be really aware of it. But I think that, I mean, as a human, you should be aware of you know, how you compose yourself and how you carry yourself in life. Yeah. Uh, you know, you don't want to be the Karen on the video screaming at the, you know, checkout clerk. But... Well, that's it. I think there's a super interesting to dis discussion also to be had, perhaps not here, but like in in that women, if they want to be taken seriously in the workplace, are always told to act more like men when in fact, like, perhaps that's not the best way to lead, actually. Like, perhaps there are other ways to be a good leader um, that don't involve throwing the walkie-talkie. Um, but. Sure. You know, like, it's unacceptable, but yes, yeah. Uh, I think that there was a period of time where that was kind of the norm, you know, directors got angry and they did, you know, and they yelled and they cursed up their crew or whatever. Uh, that's far less colorable now. I don't think people will put up with it, but so that's changed. I mean, there's a certain civility that's yeah. the industry a bit more, which is really nice. Well, it's exciting to have people like you with the being in a position now to do hiring and to affect change like that, because in my experience, women leaders have a lot less tolerance for the genius asshole than men <laughs> leaders. Like I like I I won't work with anyone like I can teach someone how to be good at their job. I can't teach someone how to not be an asshole. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and I, you know, we have no assholes policy on Motherland. We have no assholes policy on Sanctuary. It's like if you can't treat everyone on this set with respect and with admiration, then you shouldn't be here. And maybe you shouldn't be in this industry, you know, or any industry for that matter. But not nice. Like, yeah, it's not hard. Yeah, it's not hard. And it was really important to me on Motherland because I had a bit of control of the narrative of how the show ran. That, you know, and I said this to the crew I want us to be the kindest show in Vancouver. I That's our oldest season, everyone which is going to be the kindest show. I want people to come on this show and feel welcome and respected and happy to be here. We've got to create with joy. We've got to respect each other. Everyone's going to have bad days. The COVID of it all is really, you know, it's a big learning curve, but it's not, and it wasn't hard. And our show was super fun and we got a great reputation for being a really nice show to work on. So, you know, it, and everyone enjoyed it. Well, not to be too like out there or whatever, mm. but in my opinion, like that is the environment in which you can create great art. Like 100%. some people think you can't create great art unless you're suffering. I can't disagree with that more. Like if you all yeah. feel safe, then you can create. 
hundred percent true. Yeah, that was that. a good word for me too. And in fact, in my interview with the network, I was like, I want people to feel safe on the set, safe to create. I want the actors to feel safe that I've got their backs and that they can create and that I will not let them fall. And I want the crew to feel safe, that they're respected for the work that they do and what they bring to the table. And it yeah. is not at all difficult to do that. It's a, it's astoundingly easy to do that. Yeah. yeah. Strange how that funny that. Exactly. So we talked about where you came from. We talked about where you are now. Before we get to audience questions in about 10, 15 minutes, I would love to just talk a little bit about where you're going next. I'm curious, you've already achieved so much in your career, so successful. Um, but what are your goals and aspirations now? Um, I want to do a film. So uh, to that end, I'm uh, I'm working with a group on a film called Homeless, uh, which I think is just a really important story. It's a true story of this young man who transitioned or aged out of the foster care system here in mm -hmm. Vancouver, which happens all over the world all the time. Every day, kids are aging out and there's no support system. Doubled with the fact that this young man was trans and um, ended up living on the streets of Vancouver and has now completely turned his life around and is a mentor for young kids on the street. Um, and, you know, does work, works for <clears throat> a group that helps kids on the street. But it's just, it, it sounds, it, it, it's such a hopeful story. It's like devastating at times, but it's also so full of hope. And, and that really, uh, and I know every city, and I don't know why it's always the east side of cities, but the east side of most major cities has issues and the downtown east side of vancouver has a huge issue with mental health people will say that the downtown east side of vancouver has a huge issue with drugs and that's true but i think the bigger issue on the streets of the downtown east side is mental health and people not getting the help they need so they're often it's a much maligned side of society and people will drive through and not want to look and so I hope with this film that it shows what an amazing community downtown east side is and how they look out for each other and how, uh, how how connected people are and how aware people are of each other, you know? Because boom, you can walk, you know, I can drive through with my nice car and, and, and find it kind of disgusting if I chose to, you know, oh, it's filthy and those people are clearly high and ugh, off I go across the bridge to my happy life. But that's not how I choose to live. So I really want to get down and dirty with this community and say, okay, what do you need from us? What can we bring to the table for you to tell the proper story in this community? And then also as a film unit, because so much filming is going way too much detail. I'm sorry. But as a film, no, this is fascinating. Like we are, we have a huge footprint in the film industry. You know, we have a lot of trucks and trailers and we take up a lot of space. And I think that what often happens is we'll plonk ourselves down in a neighborhood for a few days, roll up our cables at the end of it all and leave. Mm -hmm. And maybe we, you know, the garbage that we leave is cleaned up and all of that, but we haven't really, like, besides impacting people's day-to-day -day lives and maybe creating inconvenience, we haven't done anything for the neighborhood. Mm. 
And with the downtown east side, I think it's vitally important that we give back. If we feel like the alley that I'm shooting is a really cool, crazy, dark looking alley that I'm not going to find somewhere else, then that's what I'm going to use. But I feel like I should pay for the privilege, you know, and not just in taxes or in per permits, but pay the people who live there. So our hope is to hire as many people from the community to help be a part of the show, <clears throat> be it as background performers or uh, as crew to try to mentor some people to get them off the streets and help them. I mean, it's a lofty goal, but we're all really in tune with it. So I hope that Homeless becomes a show that's not just about this great story, but that becomes about how film industry can impact a community. And what there's a show that did it in LA and I can't, natural terrible i can't remember what the name of the movie was but they basically had the people in that community they gave them cameras and they gave them phones to film mm -hmm. the community it's not transparent but maybe it was anyway um tangerine is that it <sighs> somebody somebody i'm reading the comments with it uh anyway they they worked with the community rather than just plonking themselves onto the community uh so that's coming up and i'm also um shooting a trailer for a sci-fi series on a volume stage like ella the mandalorian kind of stage which i've never shot in before so it's you know it's a relatively new technology and we've got one up here in vancouver so we're we're going to be shooting a trailer for a sci-fi series um on that and then you know i can show it to the mandalorian and say hire me <laughs> please come on i would back that <laughs> why not um, of course a hundred percent um, I, I think that's so admirable. And I think, you know, we're both on the West coast of North America and the unhoused is such a big, um, I don't want to say issue, but it's a crisis right it's now. It's an absolute crisis. Yeah. It's a, it's a really hard thing to see and all the time. Worse. I mean, like we have to acknowledge too, that COVID has had yep. a massive impact yep. uh, globally. I mean, you know, we can do talk about it and do lip service, but I see more people on the streets. I see more people struggling with mental health. I see my friends struggling with mental health. I've struggled through this with depression. Yeah. Like, when are we going to get out of this? You know? Yeah. So many conversations to be had about how to take care of our homeless population or unhoused, as you say, which is kind of a cool way to say it. Um, and actually really great way to say it. Um, and because it is that, I love your choice of words there, Sam. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't invent that. That's it's like, like as it's going to be, I was just talking about it. Yeah. We filter brain. I'm like, I don't drink coffee, I drink tea, but anyway. Um, yeah, fun house. Yeah. It's, and we know that something can be done about it where they've effectively changed that paradigm in many communities. And people just have to be willing to do that. Uh, and so showing people that no matter what industry you're in, there's a way that you can help the people around you is, is really great. I love that. Yeah. Um, well, you know, that's a, that's our goal. And I think, you know, to some degree, we will achieve it. I don't know how much of it, but I'm really hoping. And we've certainly, we, we did a read through of the script uh, on Zoom, recorded it, and then went out and showed people in the downtown east side and said, what do you think of the script? Is it telling the story of your neighborhood? Love that. It's telling the story of your community and sort of did roundtable discussions with people about wanting to be true to the community. Yeah. Um, and it was great. We got some really good feedback. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Being culturally sensitive like that is really cool and necessary, I think respectful. So 
what is the difference between well i should ask what can you tell folks what a volume stage is so like the mandalorian uses like an led massive display which will create environments like you can you can actually use this unreal environment you can actually download environments from unreal and it allows you to shoot uh, it also has a ceiling on it with like a real sky or real trees so you have reflections on things that you're you know the w a prime example and it's actually on a video on youtube is a guy on a motorcycle yeah you could see the reflection of trees on the engine of his motorcycle and on the tank and what it allows you to do is create really insane environments and bring mm -hmm. actors right into them and you can actually move things on the screen like you can take an element and move it you can put things in front of people with this technology uh it's 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 basically like what we're shooting on was a gaming stage where they create yeah. video games and now you know we're putting actual stories and narrative and making it more real looking than a video game yeah because unreal is a game engine like that is a game blah, 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 yeah, uh, they're, you know, now they're carrying. And Mandalorian was amazing because they had all the Unreal technicians on it. So, yeah, of course, <laughs> like, don't worry, we'll write you new code. Yeah, not, of course. Well, our little, you know, trailer for teaser for this pilot will not have that support system. So it's going to be really interesting. <laughs> I think about you guys shooting Sanctuary in a green box. And then I think about that technology now. And oh. what a wild leap. Even Stargate, like, <laughs> that was huge. Like, it took 45 minutes. There was a green screen, and then we had this Mylar thing on the lights that did this effect on the ground, and we had, like, it was so many, it took forever to set up whenever we went through the gate. And, of course, we were shooting on 35 mil film, you know, because it was the 1800s. And, um, <laughs> and by the end of Stargate, when we were shooting on HD and everything was in the computer there was no green screen there was no special lighting we were just walking up the ramp and through the gate wow. and we'll, yeah so that even in the 10 years of stargate just to see the progression of how we used to have to do things and then to think about sanctuary and how we used to do things um to now you know it's yeah. so funny because you used to have to lock off the cameras and make sure nothing mm -hmm. leaves, and you'd change different things you had tracking marks everywhere and now they're like oh you don't need to lock off you don't do this you don't oh okay okay <laughs> uh the same thing with of like you, you know you can't whip pan because the environment actually right yeah but other than that it's pretty cool and i'm still learning like i'm i'm no expert yet <laughs> That's great. It's mm -hmm. interesting. And without shows like Sanctuary, we never would have gotten to this point. So, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm glad you brought up Stargate because I think there has been a lot of talk and interest from fans about maybe a new Stargate series one day, hopefully. Yeah, I've heard a lot of stuff about that too. And I, I find it really, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm talking to Brad Wright about it. And certainly MGM at one point was really interested. I said to Brad, what do you want me to do on the show? And he goes, well, I want you to be in it. And I want you to direct it. And I was like, perfect. Thank you. Great. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. Would you want to be on it? Would you want to direct? But the answer is both, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I probably wouldn't want to be, you know, I think it's time for a new generation, but I'd love to have a part in it for sure. Yeah. I'd love to see what Carter's up to now. Um, yeah. You know, 
supersonic general carter uh but <laughs> i remember when i became full bird full bird colonel and i was like oh man this is great but now i like want to be brigadier general or something I really stupid. never good enough for carter <laughs> oh, i went more you relate to that yeah <laughs> That would be amazing. I think I speak for all the fans when I say we would love for both of those things to happen. So fingers <laughs> crossed. Yeah. I think we get really Um, I'm just going to ask a couple more questions here before we get to audience questions. Uh, but uh, overall, you know, what would you like to see for the industry as a whole moving forward? Uh, oh, wow. Gosh. Um, more inclusion. And, and truly meaning inclusion and not just yeah. being lip service, which I think, you know, is starting to happen. Uh, a better environmental footprint. Uh, mm. We came so far, like most people don't use paper anymore. I, I use an app called Scriptation, which is great. So even the changes will transfer my notes over and amazing. so much paper in the film industry. So that's changing. I think we should go fully digital. There's no reason why we can't. Um, with COVID, it's interesting because we've actually slid backwards environmentally with, you know, now single-use plastics and, you know, even going to a coffee shop, they won't fill up your reusable yeah. plug and it's making me crazy. But um, <clears throat> I'd like to see us have a better environmental impact. And... Uh, I don't know. You know, the technology keeps changing. I just hope that, you know, you're saying that the show that you were on was now being hosted by, like, a computer. Oh, I wasn't on it, but yeah, that's yeah. like, what's yeah. happening? Yeah. But now there's hosts that are computer generated, and that's cool, but I still think that <laughs> we need humanity. Yeah, I, I agree. We'll be taken over by AIs in 10 years. <laughs> there's no argument the humanity that is so visceral and so. You know, sometimes it's a hair trigger, but there's an emotional, unpredictable aspect to being human that, you know, translates on screen. Yeah, absolutely. I love both those answers. I wonder if you could go back and tell yourself something at this at the beginning of your journey in, in television to now. What's something that you wish you'd known, um, whether you would have listened to it or not? <laughs> Uh, I still do this, but I'm getting better. Stop trying so hard to please people. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I would compromise myself because I wanted to make people happy or, mm -hmm. you know, give them what they want, even though I wasn't always comfortable with it or mm -hmm. be talked to in a certain way and be okay with it because I didn't want to rock the boat. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's served me well in some ways because I've gotten as far as I've gotten. But, um, you know, I look back on certain periods of my career and go, shouldn't have done that <laughs> or shouldn't have let them yeah. talk to you like that. Or, you know, so I think I would, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be a bit more um, sure of myself and a bit more okay with speaking my mind. Um, yeah. And I would also tell myself to just relax. <laughs> you know i'm so like i said before so uptight about making sure i know all the words blah, 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 you know and i would get my beat myself up if i jumped a line or it happens we're human uh, i mean i laugh a lot on film sets i laugh 
sometimes too much on film sets because I'm having so much fun. But uh, or in my early days, I would tell myself to relax a bit more. I think that's good. Can yeah. you figure out how to relax? Let me know. I can yeah. do that. <laughs> well, I'm working on it. Terrible. <laughs> um, we talked a lot about mentorship as well. And I wonder for aspiring uh, film directors or like women in the film industry or anybody really, how do you recommend people go about finding mentors or like a good peer group um, in the industry? Yeah. Um, for actors, uh, and even for up and coming directors, what I used to love in Toronto, we had this group that of actors that would just get together and do scenes, you know, they'd pair up and maybe <clears throat> there's 20, 25 people and we'd just pair up. You'd meet at acting classes and you go, Hey, well, how about Monday night? We rent the basement of church and, um, and that kind of thing I think is so cool and so important because you're working with your peers, you're building up a community and you're working your instrument. And it also, you know, it helped going to auditions and you see the same people and you see the faces and it just, I, I think it gave me a better sense of confidence. Like, okay, I deserve to be here and I deserve to be here with these people. And, you know, we're all supporting each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I recommend that. I recommend for directors to take acting classes because they really wouldn't understand how actors think because we're super weird. Makes a ton of sense, though. Yeah, yeah, but it's you know it's it's very vulnerable thing to do. So I think to understand that in terms of finding mentors, um, there's a lot of programs now actually through a lot of the studios where they will plug mentors like plug mentorship so you can contact studios and say okay i really want to mentor or you know reach out to the directors guild in your community Mm. um because i've i've gotten people through that i have a lot of actors like i sort of have a a lineup of people who uh you know are like next job can i shadow you on this or will you mentor me for this and i'm more than happy to do it when i have the time so uh i think just ask ask the question reach out to people and just, you know, reach out to men and women and just mm-hmm. see how people work. The more time you can spend on a set, and unfortunately, COVID is not allowing any sure. right now. <laughs> um, no extra people. Um, but once the world does open up again, it's great to just spend as much time as you can on a set. Um, yeah, I love that. And camera, I laugh for like just camera trainee program. Through oh, yeah. Guilt here. Uh, that um, through the union here, that's invaluable for people trying to start out in the camera department. So that's awesome. Yeah. My last question before we get to audience questions is we've talked a lot about how you and the film industry are working to make things more inclusive, but how do you think that we as viewers and fans can contribute to continue to make things more inclusive? I think it's driven by the content we watch, really. <clears throat> You know, and and being vocal if something is not right. Yeah, like if you're watching a show and and it's culturally inappropriate, or which I think there's a lot less of that now because people are so aware. Um, but I think be vocal about it. That's not okay that you hired this person for this role. Yeah, you should have gone to a person of this color, a person from this cultural background. Yeah. You know, but that uh, it's really interesting because it's actually happening more and more now that people are aware of that. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to think of the show 
that my daughter watched. Uh, it's a cartoon about Central Park. Maybe it's called Central Park. Um, but it, it's a mixed-race couple with mixed-race children. So it's a, a African-American father and a white mother, and their children are mixed-race. And Kristen Bell was the voice of the daughter. And she said, I, I shouldn't be doing this. I should, this should go to a mixed-race actress. So she did a season, and then it went to somebody else. Um, so, I'm, you know, I think that, that that was great that she sort of stood up and when I, I realized that this might not be appropriate. I love that. We just need to just we just need to not be silent when we see it happening out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, we did have one a bunch of audience questions submitted ahead of time. I picked one from a gal named Megan McFerrin. Megan, if you're watching, thank you for submitting questions. Uh, her question was, uh, as you get older and you learn more, do you feel that you are getting more confident? She says she watches your bite the bullet video mm -hmm. several times. Pick me up, and uh, yeah, how do you how do you find that your confidence? Is changed um but that's a good question megan and thank you um i'm just more comfortable in my own skin i think that's a facet of getting older um i think it's a facet of not worrying so much what people think mm -hmm. as i used to i mean i still do but not as much <laughs> that's good um but yeah i certainly feel like i'm i'm just i i don't know that i'm more confident I, I am aware that I have a bigger skill set than I used to have, so I have confidence in my skill set. Um, but I'm just more comfortable in my own skin. I'm kind of like, you know, this is what you see is what you get. <laughs> so um, I I can't change it. <laughs> so I'm a lot happier now that I've come to that place. Um, and I think it's really funny, you know, as a as a woman, when you reach a certain age, um, this is a little aside story, so I'll tell it super quick. A friend of mine lives in a little village in England, and um, she lived between two houses, and she had a fight with one of the neighbors. And the other neighbor said, I'm going to solve this. We're going to have a dinner party, and we're going to talk it all out. And my friend Beverly said, well, okay, fine. Yes, we'll talk it all out. And this person said, but when you come over, Bev, could you not be so 53? And she said, what? And he went... You know, the age when women stop really giving a shit. <laughs> I just thought, oh my God, what a horrible thing to say. Oh, wait. Yeah, we actually do reach an age where we care less what people think, and it's okay. I was going to say, that rules, actually. I'm no, counting down. Like, okay. So offensive and kind of true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to jump that. Should not be so 53. <laughs> Maybe last more. Ugh. So good. Um, we have Tommy, our technical producer here today, is going to pop some audience questions from the chat down below in the lower third. And of course, if you are watching right now and you have a question for Amanda, please drop it in the chat. And we would love to ask there. We have about 20 minutes here for some audience questions. So uh, super excited for this. Um, yeah, Tommy, if you want to pop up the first question. Oh my gosh, I'm running out of voice. I'm having such a good time. <laughs> uh yeah okay we're just gonna wait to get the first audience question up here thank you all for watching oh we've got another question from megan how funny how fun i heard episode of sanctuary to film i have to be honest with you every episode of sanctuary <laughs> was so much fun uh in large part and i have to give credit where credit's due um because robin dunn i laughed every single day <laughs> 
So yes, so, um, and you know, like everyone, Damien and Martin and I, and but but Robin Dunn made me like almost pee myself every day. So it was a fun episode. <laughs> oh my gosh, I was I've been rewatching Dawson's Creek from the beginning because um, I missed it the first time around, and he was just in an episode, and I was what? like, oh my god, a child. <laughs> oh my god, baby, <laughs> that was creepy. <laughs> Um, thank you for the great questions, Megan. This is awesome. Uh, I know we have more. Uh, okay. I look up to you as an actress and director and was wondering if you could give us advice with how to deal with sexism and with people telling us we don't fit as actress or director. Cool. That's a loaded question. Um, if it's really blatantly sexist what's happening to you, you need to go to talk to somebody about it you need to um i've had one situation where i actually stood up for myself <clears throat> and i knew i was being treated differently because i was a woman and what i said to the producers i went into them and i said fire me and they went what and i said you're clearly unhappy so fire me i'm not going to quit I refuse to quit but if you're that unhappy fire me and they wouldn't because i think they realized if we fire her we have really have grounds to fire her because she's doing her job and she's doing it well. But I just thought, I, and then without me saying, like, if I were a man, you would not put me through this shit. And if I were a man, I wouldn't be getting emails at five in the morning that are, you know, two pages long. Um, so I just said, fire me. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, you're ha you're not happy. I'm not happy. No. And they refused. And so I was like, all right, then here we go. And kept going and then at the end of it got you know a note from one of the producers saying well your episodes were the best they were amazing and i was like uh -huh. no kidding I was traumatized but thanks <laughs> we'll tell my therapy again no yeah. uh as an actress if you're being uh treated unfairly in any way or in a sexist way you absolutely have to go to the producers 100 percent. just go right and then and don't even talk to the person who's doing it just go straight to the producers and if it's the producers doing it, then find somebody else to talk to if it's going to the network. But I think like the more we stand up to it, um, as hard as it is, because nobody wants to be the whistleblower and we see what happens, they're vilified, uh, we have to do it. And find other women around you, you know? Find other women and go to them and say, I'm having this issue, what should I do? And they'll stand with you. And the more people stand together, the less it happens. Hope that helps. <clears throat> will we see you, uh, Laura? Hello. Uh, will we see you in front of the camera again? Uh, love you. Oh, uh, will you see me in front of the camera right now, Laura? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's funny because I, I, I really, really miss it at times. Uh, I really miss being in front of the camera. Um, and there's times, especially when I watch a particularly well-written scene, where I'm like. Oh. I would love to do that scene. That would be so cool. So yeah, um, I, you will. I just don't know when, but yeah. Um, Jed, can you think of a moment you directed that was truly better off because you're a woman director and had different insight than a man might? <clears throat> Jen, I love this question. Great question. So certainly, um, certainly on shows like Anne with an E, uh, and especially dealing with young girls and and what they were going through, um, I had a different insight that a man wouldn't have. <clears throat> and how, you know, as they were maturing, especially as our actresses were maturing and going through puberty, 
um, I had a different insight that a man wouldn't have, and I was able to understand tonally what they were going through emotionally. So I think that that certainly Anne with a Knee was a show where it helped that I was a woman, um, especially in more of the trying scenes with the girls. Uh, but yeah, I just think, you know, I think we bring a different sensitivity um, and a different perspective. And sometimes, you know, it's not even in the obvious way. You know, there were certain scenes in Travelers, and, and again, Travelers was such a huge experience for me. I think I did nine of the episodes of Travelers, and um, I think I brought a different sensitivity to it because I'm a woman. And, you know, I could understand what some of the female characters were going through, or even on a sensitive level, what some of the men were going through. It made it okay for them to be more emotional, perhaps. But, um, and not to say that a man couldn't do that, but yeah, we just bring a different sensitivity and a different experience. That's it. When we talk about diversity, it's that like we all have unique lives and experiences based on like who we are and what our, you know, perceived, uh, you know, uh, you know, all these different aspects of us make up who we are in a different way and getting as many different kinds of those people behind the camera as possible. You you get different stories out of that. That's cool. Like I know that as a white woman, I don't have the same experience that a woman of color has. And I come exactly. from a privileged place as a white woman. I see it when I go to airports that I'm treated differently. I, yeah. you know, when I'm waiting for a cab in New York, whatever, I know that there is a difference. Yeah. And I could not possibly bring that level of, I can bring an experience as a woman who's dealt with sexism or ageism, but I certainly have never dealt with racism on that level. And so I can't bring that experience. And that's why we have to have different voices to tell those stories. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Um, okay. Hi. Can you can think of quite a few examples of strong leading women in science fiction? Do you think science fiction as a genre are better at portraying strong, capable women? And if so, why? I think at first, for sure. Um, I think science fiction was a great place for strong women. Um, and because there were and strong women in leadership roles. Um, and certainly even like Michelle Nichols. Yeah. It's like such a trailblazer for so many reasons. Yeah. Um, you know, the character of Kate Mulgrew, like there was, the, there were so many strong in charge women in sci-fi to look up to. And there still are. Um, but I think, I don't know, is there, I think. Yeah, science fiction is better at it, but I think it really depends on the show. It really depends on, you know, if you're dealing with a show about lawyers and you're a really strong female lawyer, then great. You know, that's telling a story. It's not science fiction, but you have a strong female character. Um, I think science fiction just broke down a lot of barriers earlier than some of the other genres. And it came from that place of like speculative fiction where it was easier for viewers to suspend their disbelief a little bit to say like, Oh yeah, I'm sure a woman could be a captain in space, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Whereas, like, like King Walter, 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 we can look at me. I'm awesome. And you go nah, and everything you done and ever do, but uh, <laughs> I love her. Um, yeah, but I think science fiction certainly allowed that more. Great question, Gemma. Thanks. Yeah, Georgina, are there any books you've read you'd love to be involved in a TV film adaptation of? yeah <laughs> just completely blanking on what they are i used to have a stack of books by my bedside 
and I would go, oh, this would make a great movie. Um, but I hate to say that off the top of my head right now, I can't think of one because they're all reading now. So I'm very fortunate. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's a little sad. I've been this. Yeah. Reading this gift from the sea, which was a gift from one of the actresses on Motherland. I'm reading this incredible book, which is called Braiding Sweetgrass. So good. It's so good. So yeah. Um, but this is, there are more learning opportunities than narrative at the moment. I feel like you would have been a great director on Shadow and Bone, which the first movie just came out. I would love to see you directing on that. That would be cool. That would be yeah. Cool. Yeah. That was also Budapest, I think, they shot. So I'll see you. It's a great place to shoot, at, for sure. And um, can you talk about Helen Magnus being a bisexual woman and the importance of LGBTQ plus representation on the film industry? 100%. Um, what we talked about very early on with Helen Magnus was that, Anna, and I felt really strongly about this, <clears throat> excuse me, um, because she'd been around for so long, that the idea of her only ever being with men was <clears throat> unrealistic to me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I thought it was just really important that she was a woman who was so liberated in so many ways, intellectually and emotionally and sexually, that, uh, of course, that she should have um, partners from different genders. And when we did do the scene where she kisses the woman, um, I didn't want it to be a gratuitous just kiss i wanted it to be you so the way it was originally written was you know i get kissed and then she says oh i'm sorry and then we kiss and i added the oh no it's all right i haven't been kissed like that in a long time so that it was just important to speak to the loveliness of that kiss and what it meant to helen to be kissed by a woman who she you know and hadn't been for quite a long time so i think it's really important that we represent but not in a look here's our gay character way here's our lgbtq here's our you know transsexual character like yay you know hang a lantern over them i think it's important that it's just again immersive and inclusive and just a part of the story um on motherland we have a character um and it was very important that we cast non-binary actors we cast a non-binary actor who's trans and it was just really important that it be not something that needed to be explained or forgiven or, you know what I mean? Like society is like, well, why is that? What? Yeah. Like, because they are, because they're part of this community, because they are here. <laughs> so um, I think in saying that and in talking to the actor about it, you know, we don't want it to be um, so obvious and we don't want it to be like, look at our non-binary character. But I think we probably should have done more to actually introduce the character and hmm. say, this is why they fit into this world. Um, but it's important because when we tell stories and when the stories are, you know, sent out to the world, it's important for people, especially young people, to see themselves on screen. It's important that they see themselves represented and represented in a positive way. And that's why it's really important, especially for young kids, um, LGBTQ plus, that they see themselves because it's really, our society still marginalizes in a huge way. And if you don't see trans kids on screen or trans characters on screen, how do you know that you're okay? You see that character on screen and you go, I'm represented. 
I belong. I exist. People acknowledge that I exist. It's okay that I'm in this skin and this is how I feel. Um, so I think it's like, it's, I can't even stress enough how important it is that we portray that and that we portray it honestly. Um, so that people feel represented. Well, on a personal note, I'm, I'm bi and didn't realize it for a really long time. I didn't understand that because I never did see that represented on TV in that moment with Helen, like was big for me in my development, because it's like, when you do see something like that and you recognize yourself in something, you learn that it's not a bad thing or a scary thing necessarily, that it just exists. And there are lots of places for coming out stories and stuff like that. But I think to your point, equally as important are stories where they like LGBTQ people just exist. Um, And I wish we saw more of that. Yeah. And we don't need to, you know, I I felt like, like when representation first started being really important on television, it was almost like an apology, like, okay, sorry, but here's our, here's this character. (laughs) Here's this young gay guy, you know, it's okay. Here's the character, like, and, and Motherland, I think, handles it beautifully. We've never hung a lantern on the lesbian relationships in the show. They're just there. They exist. These two women fell in love and a story. You know, nobody says, oh, your yeah, girlfriend. It's like, oh, your girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. Normalize it. Normalize it. And then people feel represented. That's right. I hope that's a good answer. Uh, other than the Mandalorian, we need to make this happen. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, what's a show currently on TV you would love to direct or be in? And is there an actor or actress you would love to direct? Um, I'd love to direct Olivia Coleman because I think she's brilliant and not, you know, from way back, well before her Oscar or the crown. Um, I'd love to do the great. You guys know this one. Well, huzzah. So funny. Oh, I don't know why, but Olivia and I love that show. I would love to do something like that. Something that's a history element, a period piece, super funny, super out there, really beautifully shot, uh, beautiful art direction. Um, something like that would be so much fun. Be so there, that's my answer. <laughs> uh, Lord Slothman. Nice name. Love it. Has there ever been a role or job you've turned down and wish you hadn't, or ones where you're glad it went to somebody else? Hmm. I don't know that I've... No. I've lost jobs that I really wish I'd gotten. Um, But I don't know that I've ever turned anything down where I've gone, damn, that was a big mistake. I don't think so. And I think because also, you know, I was on a long-running show for 10 years, so... There wasn't a lot of opportunity in the downtime to do that much. Um, and then with Sanctuary, so, I mean, 15 years, I was pretty steadily busy. So it wasn't like I was getting fielding all these offers. Leave your show and come do this. That wasn't happening. <laughs> That's a great question. I, and I think it speaks to the importance of trusting your gut as well in situations like that, where if something yeah. tells you it's not the right thing to take, um, you should listen to it. Yeah. I mean, there's the early in my career, there was, um, and before Stargate, there was like movies, movie of the week kind of things or movies where I went, this doesn't feel right. It's not a good yeah. fit. 
this is not a good situation. I know that I'm going to be asked to do things that will compromise me. Um, so yeah, so I would say no to those. I'd go to my agent and the one in particular where I knew that if I was away on this location shooting this movie, um, I would probably be asked to take my clothes off at some point. And, you know, this is the European version. And then I was, I just had a, my spidey senses were tingling. And I said, no, and I'm really super glad I did. Uh, and nothing's there's anything wrong with that but no. if it's not for you it's not for you that's totally okay <laughs> that's, that's what you gotta listen to yeah? yeah um we did one last thing before we wrap up here we did get a comment from ruth needle uh who said that she just wanted to say that thanks to stargate and to you in particular for portraying a strong female character in a realistic way in a male-dominated environment because she's now a development engineer it's really helpful. oh that is awesome Oh my gosh, I'd love to hear that. That's great. I love these kind of stories where I hear, you know, I went into mathematics or I went into astrophysics or I went into this field or I went into tech or, you know, because of your portrayal of this character or because the way the character was written. Oh my gosh. I mean, there's nothing better than that when you hear that it's actually had an impact to that level. So that's really awesome. Thank you. Um, so many of us do work in male-dominated fields like video games, like all this stuff, and having Sam as that benchmark of here's how it is possible to be a girl and still be one of the guys, but not sacrifice your femininity and, you know, still be able to relate to men and be strong and respected. And um, it really has had an impact on a lot of people, myself included. And so we are, I think I can speak for all of us. I say that we're very grateful for the care and love you put into that character for so many years. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel lucky. I grew up with three brothers, so I have a perspective <laughs> kind of knowing to hand, how to handle it a little bit and understand <laughs> a bit more of the male psyche. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've been lucky. I've been lucky that I've had the kind of characters to portray that I've been able to portray, you know, and that they've been written the way they were written. So, well, the harder you work, the luckier you get, as it <laughs> tends to be as well. So, I'm, I'm, there's some credit to you there, too. And you know, I just, I want to thank you so much. And I especially want to thank the companion yeah. uh, for being here today. Um, can you tell us what you're working on next with the companion? We are, uh, well, there's a couple of things we're going to do. Uh, we're going to do a talk about mental health, which I think is really relevant and important right now. And it's something that, yes. you know, we'll get, we'll dive deeper into it when we do this, but, um, you know, uh, having had a brother who had mental health issues and, um, seeing what that did and, you know, seeing what's happening now globally. And I think the ramifications of COVID are going to be long felt in the mental health side of things. So we're going to be talking about that. And I think I'm doing a podcast with Brad Wright also on the companion. So I'm super excited about that. But yeah, awesome. it's coming up. I don't know when. So tease, tease, tease. <laughs> like, is there anybody else you would want to talk to as part of this, like, whole companion situation? Like who I want to talk to? Yeah, yeah. I'd like to. I like. I think that that Brad should have like the cast all together. You know, get Rick on here. Get Michael. Get Chris. Get Terrell. Just have a good yuckety yuck. Be fine. Awesome. Yeah. Little um, and we would all be there in like a heartbeat. <laughs> we're we're there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it would be fun. It would be really fun. So awesome. Um, before we let you go, too, I just want to point that uh, the whole audience today towards the charity or resource of your choice. Um, I'm well. still very much supporting Nepal Orphans Home. When Sanctuary for Kids shut, uh, yeah. the charities in Nepal were still, Ash in Nepal still needs a huge amount of money. 
next generation Nepal. This is all dealing with children who have been trafficked, trafficked women. Um, and then Nepal Orphans Home, of course, is just so incredibly close to my heart. And they're doing such amazing work that what started out as a tiny orphanage is now like a community hub training women to you know, be self-sufficient and giving people life skills and work opportunities. And I'm just like so amazed that Michael Hess has created this incredible space. So Nepal Orphans Fund. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you so much for your time. Damn, Damn. I just, I just great like to talk. It was amazing. It should be like a dream. What a wonderful, yeah, just a great way to talk about women in film, but mostly just being a person in film which is i think the most important thing <laughs> you know no i agree yeah yeah i mean thank you, thank you everyone for taking the time like an hour and a half out of your days to come and hang with us very very cool thank you thank you for the companion for making the tower and we'll see you guys next time okay thank you so much sam